guys. Welcome to Overcrest. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And about a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago, I watched a movie called Autonomy. Yes. And it was on Amazon Prime. And it's a it's a film kind of, well, it is definitely about the autonomous car and the upcoming autonomous car revolution. It was on Amazon Prime. I'm like, oh, that's, you know, that's right up my alley. I'm really, really interested For in sure. this. Where are things going? Um, and it was directed by a guy named Alex Horowitz, who is a director, writer, um, producer. So I decided, why not have Alex Horowitz on the podcast to talk about uh, the film that he directed? Um, it's also narrated, or not narrated, but uh, Malcolm Gladwell, who's a journalist, uh, I think he works for The New Yorker and a few other publications, writes mm -hmm. books, um, has his own podcast, stuff like that. He does a lot of narration in the film, talks a lot in the film, and he's got some really, really good perspectives in the film, especially towards the end. And it's a pretty, as much as you can get a fair look by you know, media on autonomous cars. This car, this movie is a pretty fair look. It so it's does its best. It's fairly unbiased it's, as far as either pro driving or pro autonomy. Right. Well, it's more pro both, I think, okay. in, a, in a way, because there's different perspectives that you can have, which on I think one. is probably accurate. I, th I think I think it's fair. So there's 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 a bunch of voices on both sides, and I think that's that's interesting. But you had a point that you wanted to bring up with me before we came on the podcast that you were talking about. Jake, we just talked about. Let's Are you just, talking about the car thing? Yes, the GM oh, guy. You okay, saw yeah, it. Say, yeah. Oh yeah, right, I watched right, it. I saw. Yeah, yeah. Right. So I was just watching it here in the studio, and one part I liked was there was a designer from GM who we've used this analogy a lot. He said the danger is that these autonomous cars are going to be more of an appliance than a car as we think of it today. And he he was very uh, good at basically putting words to the fact that you don't want appliances to stand out. Think of your refrigerator. You don't buy something super crazily styled and you want it to be loud and some people do super stylish. Some I don't people. think so. Baloney. You think that thing of being able to knock on your refrigerator door and see everything inside and have all these gizmos and gadgets. <laughs> you're not making a statement with your with your kitchen when you do that or those or putting a viking refrigerator in your kitchen you are 100 percent making a statement the vast majority of people want just a very simple looking refrigerator to the point that a lot of these new modern kitchens where it's just like cabinets they yeah. make it look like just a cabinet right, right. you're hiding it you're trying so to hide an it, appliance sure. basically is the way that this designer on the documentary said he said it basically you want an appliance to do nothing else except its function and do it well and reliably. I I agree that is true for refrigerators. However, how is that any different because than an autonomous car? Look at look at the way that cars are marketed. Okay, they're one hundred percent marketed towards your style, taste, and lifestyle. They're not marketed. When you watch a commercial for a refrigerator, it says it, it just keeps it at 32 degrees. You can knock on it and see what's inside. It's very, very applicable, right? All the things do something. You're supposed okay. to be able to use it. It is an and it's an appliance. When you or there's the um the Maytag guy that's showing it's 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 really good at what it does, right? He's he's the guy right. inside the dishwasher. Right. Okay? So that's an appliance. When you look at a car and you look at marketing for cars, it's this is where it's going to take you. You can do these things with your family. It's going to, you know, you're going to be able to pass this car on for generations and take your daughter no. out for the first drive. These no. are all commercials that exist. It's 100%. Those, okay, but that is not the market for the autonomous are you, vehicle. Are you telling me 
that all of a sudden we're going to shift over to autonomous vehicles and people aren't, they're just going to all drive Kia autonomous vehicles because yes, no one wants pe- to make them. No, no one wants Already to- people don't care. 100% false. If that was true, someone placed like Restoration Hardware, which has really nice furniture, would not be able to keep compete with Ikea because people would just be like, oh, it's just something to sit on. I'm just going to go buy the couch at Ikea. It's comfortable. That's quality. That's not styling or personality. That's just quality. Quality and design is a very important element. And it has a lot to do with style. And cars have a lot to do with style. And it's when you uh, choose. There are, hold on. Okay. When you choose a car, when you choose a car and you go and you look at it, you're looking at the style. You're looking at the design because it fits what? It fits your taste. It's to your taste. No one goes out and looks at a car and goes, I, well, some people do, but the majority of people don't go to a car. I want the one with 900 horsepower. I would need to be able to tow a boat, blah, blah, blah. Then people aren't robots. Cars are far more ingrained in the American culture and world culture for the people that drive as style points. It's something that represents who you are. Every brand has put itself in a position, especially someone like Subaru or Volkswagen or Audi. Each one has this own little niche uh, cutout of a person that they think is going to drive that car. Yes. However, you're talking about the people who are actually interested in cars and the people no, who I'm are not. marketing no, cars not. who are, by their very occupation, interested in that car they're trying to sell. Even somebody that doesn't even love cars. Have you go- talked to someone normal who just oh, is sure, not into cars of at course, all? Of course, but that like, person oh, I don't still, know about cars. I don't care. They still care about what the car represents to other people that look at them, just like the jacket that they bought or the shoes that they bought or the briefcase or the, or the case they got for their phone. All of these are choices that you're making based on the design of the thing and people are going to judge you whether you like it or not on what you're wearing, what you look like, what you're driving. It says something about you when you have your dishwasher or you have your, your wash and dryer in the basement. It's not the same decision. I don't like the, I think it will become the same decision. I don't think so because Because here's my point to play devil's advocate. I think there is a larger, you can't play devil's advocate. If you think you're right, Devil's advocate means you know you're wrong, but you're going to say it anyway. Well, which is I'll it? play Jake then. Okay, there you go. The devil's advocate to Chris by <laughs> by default. No, so I know there are a large, not a large, but there's a subset of people who buy cars, and it's a growing number of people, this subset, who, case in point, a colleague I work with, she goes, oh, you know, I was driving the same Saturn for a number of years, and it finally gave up, or it's terrible, so I had to go car shopping, and she finally got a new car. It's like, oh, what'd you get? She's like, I is a Kia something. I don't know. She she didn't even know the car that she just bought because she cared that little. But do you think that she cared what it looked like at all? You no, think, I you don't. You think she made no design decisions whatsoever? She just sure she did subconsciously, but as much as would go into a refrigerator. I think people are more complicated than that, especially for a car, which is a representation of a lot more than an appliance in today's society. Maybe you're right. Maybe as time I goes on. I think a large number of people are I not going to care. I guess you could be right. <laughs> <laughs> I guess yes. you could be right. Well, it's, I think it's a long way down the road. And I think you're still, you may see some appliance car purchasing, but for the most part, I think even in that market, you're still going to have people making choice based on design and elements that represent their culture and their lifestyle that they've well, chosen. Well, here's the even scarier proposition, Chris. People won't be buying cars, period. It's going to be mobility providers. Well, we'll see. That's, so, that's a topic for another day. Yes. So before we get into uh, having Alex on the podcast, why don't you tell us a little bit about 
worth. Yeah. So if you are one of these people that does like cars and might even fix your own car and work on it, our latest sponsor is Worth USA. Worth is a family-owned global company that's been in operation since 1945. They offer high-quality, professional-grade shop supplies and tools with industry-leading customer service. They've also just launched their world-class hand tool line to the U.S. market. And these are German-made tools with a lifetime warranty. So head over to worthusa.com to check out all of their products. All right. So before we get into the uh, the interview with Alex, have you done anything with your truck or your car or anything? Uh, nothing too exciting. I have ordered the wheels I mentioned. I or- I spent $400 on chrome trim pieces for the 911. Yeah, that sounds about right. Chrome or like the anodized? It's no. So I, when I say chrome, it's because so the 1970 year is all the chrome brightwork. So like the horn grills up front and the little I trim have, I around have extra chrome. Are they actually chrome? You said they're painted. Well, they're plastic dipped now because I run them on my car, but I would have traded, traded. you. Yeah, that would have worked. They're chrome. They're very nice. <laughs> okay, maybe we'll still trade. <laughs> okay. And then also all the lens housings have a little like black around them right now because in 73 they switched to black I have chrome. The fr- Are you kidding me? I'm dead serious. I have the correct ones for your car. 100%. I'll sell them to you. Send that stuff back. Just return it. I have the stuff. We'll, okay. we'll work something out. Okay. Why didn't you ask me? I have all kinds of parts. Know. I don't know. I think I have the front and I... Why do you have the chrome early it's what stuff? Came, it's what came on my car. No. When I bought it, that's what was on there, but I didn't like it. So I have the black trim stuff on my car now. And the black trim stuff doesn't work well with the orange. Yeah, but it does with the darker color. Oh, I car. agree. Yeah, I so, agree. It's, so I have the stuff. And if you want it, we'll figure something out. I'll take pictures of it for you All when right, I that get sounds home. Good. Uh, the truck front, I've basically finished up fixing the driver's side door because that had some rust in it that yeah. I had to repair. And yeah, I, I saw you I, I did a little that. bit of that on Instagram and then showed. The, what you didn't show is the final result. You showed the last clip as you cutting something and then nothing. So everybody I got just tired and it. went to bed. And then <laughs> when I started up again, I was like, eh, I don't feel like really recording this. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody appreciates that, I'm yep, sure. Yep, they leave you hanging there. So I worked on the 911 a little bit. I just kind of formulated a plan. I ground you up. You keep more. looking at all your parts and saying, well, yes, I kind of know. I well, it gets too late. I can't be grinding or cutting with everybody sleeping. So it was like nice 9 30, 10 o'clock when I quit. I didn't want to get everybody up, but I have a plan. And that's the man with the plan. I'm the man with the plan. And that's that's all I can say. All right, let's bring uh, Alex Horowitz on and talk to him about the film Autonomy. Mr. Alex Horowitz, how's it going, man? Thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. We, uh, we, I really enjoyed your film. I've seen it twice now. Jake has seen a bunch of it here at the studio. I was literally watching it before we broke to record this, and so it's fresh in my mind. I, I have to commend you on trying to do your best to make a balanced film on this topic because it's really easy to go in either direction in, as in terms of pro autonomous cars are the worst thing that's ever happened, and it's also easy to go in the other direction of, well, autonomous cars save lives. That's there's, that's the only answer. How did you really balance that? Well, I, I'll note that you said try to do my best. So I don't know. Maybe you're telling me I didn't <laughs> didn't quite get there. No, I think uh, you did a great job. I just I, but, it's a hard but, task. <laughs> no, but, but thank you for noticing that that was the attempt, and, and it certainly was. Um, I, look, laying all my cards on the table, I came to this project not as a car guy or a gearhead or an auto nerd or whatever your term may be. Um, I'm, you know, I'm sort of the inter- interloper from the outside. Uh, I was very happy to jump in. I'm a bit of a of a tech geek, 
Um, but that's not to say that I defaulted to thinking automation is the coolest thing in the world and, and, and must come as soon as possible. Uh, but I, I definitely come in more from like the sort of the sci-fi, just general curiosity angle than uh, having a particular ax to grind, either pro Silicon Valley or pro Detroit auto industry. Um, and not being, how shall I put it, an enthusiast, an enthusiast or an aficionado or somebody who can really talk cars. And I won't, I won't pretend to, I'm, I, I will be outmatched very quickly if I try to go toe to toe with you on that. Um, I, I knew that I just needed to approach it from uh, a, let's call it the mass audience point of view. Um, what does the average viewer who is not steeped in either automobile culture or Silicon Valley and automation culture, uh, what do they need to know? What are they going to be interested in? And, and I thought that that, that was just going to be my North Star for it all. Um, I, I'm is a generally curious documentarian. I see pros and cons of it with every issue I look at. And certainly every issue I, I roll up my sleeves and uh, dig into, as one does with a documentary. It's sort of like consumed my life for uh, over a year. And I, as I learned everything I could, and uh, forgive the automotive metaphor, but you know, did a crash course on all this, and <laughs> learned as much as I could very quickly. Um, I did see you know, beautiful, wonderful possibilities um, of this bright, shiny, utopian future, but also, um, you know, horrific new problems that that don't exist yet, um, and uh, a downside for for what is lost in in our in our culture. Because even if I'm not steeped in auto culture, I absolutely uh, respect it as as part of the fabric, especially of what we we uh, we call culture in America, but also worldwide. Do you um, think that 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 uh... It goes more. It goes even farther beyond car culture. Do you think motoring is something that is kind of ingrained in American and even European, maybe even the world culture as um, a representation? Just let me put it this way: the, the title of the film is "Autonomy," which in this mm -hmm. context is a completely different uh, definition than "autonomous." Why did you choose right. "autonomy"? Because it seems like it's it's alluding to the fact that when you're in a car, you have autonomy from the world. Is that yeah. I'm, am I kind of is that accurate? Hundred percent. Yeah, sure. It's um, you know, it's no accident that I went with uh, the noun rather than the adjective. You know, autonomy with a big capital A. It's it's at least a double entendre, and I think depending on how you figure it, a, a triple entendre. You know, uh, whose autonomy, ours or the vehicles? Um, but also uh, just sort of a, a, an automation, like a very technical use of the, the word as well. So it sort of works in three ways. The 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 word. Um, as a title. Um, and yeah, to be sure it is, it is, the movie is about more than just car culture. And, you know, I, I've been telling people I'm, I'm working on this, uh, and, and they go, Oh, really? I didn't know you're into cars. I was like, well, I, I've become more into cars through this, but, <laughs> but the bottom line is I, I wasn't really, and I don't, yeah, sure. Superficially, it's a movie about self-driving cars or autonomous cars or automated cars. And we can get into that nomenclature in a little bit, but, um, but that's only on the surface level. To me, it's a movie about control, fear, how we define ourselves through the things we build, um, you know, innovation, anxiety over innovation um, and automation in general, which isn't just about cars. Um, and you indicated that, you know, there's more of a mobility story in general. Yeah. The car is just sort of the one I don't know about most successful, but certainly most, uh, um, I guess we'll just say most everyday, most prevalent form of 
fast mobility. You know, but that that's the story of how we get around through the world, either short or great distances, has been one of the biggest technical evolutions of our species for thousands of years. Yeah, short and of the internet, takes, it's yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, I mean, where it's it's um, you know, Eddie Alterman, uh, for a long time editor in chief of of car and driver magazine who's one of the executive producers of the film and i think ultimately the guy who hired me to do the film um you know he was saying to me if if the 19th century was the century of um the locomotive and there may be something to that uh and the 21st century is the century of of telecommunication and 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 uh you know the internet and informa- the information age the, the 20th century obviously is the century of the car Right. I, I told Malcolm Gladwell, and he said, "Hmm, I don't know. I disagree with with Eddie. I think 20th century might be the the century of the airplane. Either way, we're talking about mobility. We're talking about how we move through the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, whatever vessel that is, whether it's a you know a scooter or a car, or a bicycle, we're, we're a nomadic or, you people. Know, We've been moving since yeah. day one. Yeah, We've we always move. been moving. Move. Yeah, uh, exactly. So that the the movie has." grand aspirations in that sense um and and the self-driving car um is just the vessel for this particular version of that story so did you so that's that's what hooked me and and got me interested in it so did you change did your concept of what an autonomous car was what it meant for the future can you explain the contrast of when you started to when you were done with the documentary what changed I I don't know that i would say it changed dramatically it certainly became more refined um i certainly my acumen for it certainly grew and I learned a lot more. And I think I, I understood the particulars more. And, 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 and by that, I mean, you know, I understand how much of a gray area and a chaotic space this is. I mean, I probably thought one thing from reading wired and gizmodo and, and, you know, places you would have, that would have grabbed my attention like that, but I was more likely to read things like that than say car and driver magazine. Um, but they, you know, that, if you get all your information from one source, one kind of source, you're not really getting the whole picture. And this industry is fraught with confusion, with a lot of exciting things, a, a lot of noise, a lot of people who can't agree on timelines, and and certainly when it comes to terminology and nomenclature and just the very technical reality of what is and is not out there in the world at any given point, uh, it is, as I said before, chaotic. And and so I sort of learned that and learned how to wade through that a little a little better. With any luck, um, and I was I was trying to do this in the film. I was trying to give you a sort of evergreen version. I was trying to give you a a a snapshot of this industry, how we got to where we are now, where we are now, where we may be soon, but without getting bogged down in predictions that are just going to evaporate and be wrong a year from now. Right. Um, and uh, and just give you the kind of the terminology, the the, the basic information you need to know to have a better informed conversation at the you know the next family gathering um, and to go out there and, and consume the new journalism that's coming out and all the new models and names and, and, and proprietary technologies to, to understand it a little bit better, understand where it fits. So Alex, um, speaking yeah. of, you know, a lot of these claims that you mentioned, would you uh, say it's accurate to say there's a lot of sensationalism out there about, you know, Oh, we're going to, no one's going to be driving in four years. Everyone's going to have their own autonomous car. That that's certainly things that we've seen from some, predictors some futurists yeah. is that it's something that is fair to say that, that there's certainly sensationalism from a lot of different sources coming out there in some cases it's it's sensationalism to be sure i think more broadly i would just call it 
misinformation because you know sensationalism sort of implies uh puffing up language for the purposes of getting eyeballs or selling papers i i think it may just be people who don't necessarily understand what it is they're reporting on uh there, there are there is good reporting out there there is very good reporting out there there are people who really understand it but they're more often than not you're going to get misleading stuff and it's not through any ill will or, or even um laziness particularly on any, on any one person's part i just think like we're in the wild west here as concerns this this thing this object uh or, or series of objects so a uh, range of objects in so, the earlier know, it, yeah early on in the film you have a you meet these group of guys and they're super hot rod guys they you know their cars have no car they're carbureted they got no uh but, you know yeah. no emissions equipment those guys are the dr- the Dragon Knights, Orange County, California. The that Dragon Knights. Yes. And we see them drifting around, right? They're doing burnouts. Yeah. They're drifting around. And then at the end of that scene, the guy goes, you'll never see an autonomous car do that. Yeah. And, of course, the next scene is a DeLorean doing exactly that. But yeah. what I wanted to challenge on that is the reason for a burnout exists for one reason, and it's the thrill of doing it. Mm. And it's risky. It's loud. It's obnoxious. It's illegal. You have to be a rebel. You consider yourself a rebel to be doing it, unless you're on a close yeah. track or something. If you're doing right. that in anywhere in public, you can be arrested. If you have a, an autonomous car, there's no risk. It's just a robot doing it. So the entire point of doing a burnout in the first place is gone. And I think that kind of alludes to why some people want to hold on to being able to drive their own cars is because of that. As an enthusiast, you have a little bit of that rebellion, a little bit of that risk built in. Uh, yeah, as with so many topics in this whole conversation, I think you are a hundred percent right, and yet there is a very valid counter argument to what you just said. Um, you, you're absolutely right. For the Dragon Knights, that thrill cannot be matched by the other side, by the automated version. For them, for those guys. But I think if you see, you know, that <laughs> that rather. Uh, that rather sedate, but very and yet enthusiastic fist bump that the the two Stanford programmers give each other after <laughs> right. their car does burn out. They're experiencing a different kind of thrill that I think is equally powerful for them. Of we got this car to do that. They, it, it did not happen before. And, and, and this may be splitting hairs here, maybe beside the point. I think there is probably still some physical risk to the car going that fast sure. and doing that thing that can lose control. It is, yes, it goes on a, on a closed course, to be fair. But that, but that's my point. Like, you know, for one appetite, uh, your thrills are found elsewhere. And that was more about the triumph of engineering than the adrenaline and rush of, of, of danger and, and rebellion. Um, for different people, a very equally valid kind of pursuit, you know? So um, I think you see the guys, the the dragon knights are seeing as something, there's two different camps. One camp has something that's being taken away from them or they, they, they perceive it this way, even though it may not be true. They have the perception that something is going to be taken away from them. And the other group, which is the Stanford guys think that they're giving something to society. (laughs) And I think that that is what creates kind of this uh, conflict. It's the conflict between the two camps, I think. Right. Yeah. And, and, and as I said, my interest as filmmaker is, is that I saw things like that as I sort of dove into the research and I accept both as true. Um, as something is given, something is taken away. Like all of human advancement, if we can get very reductive here, is a story of new things being invented, uh, literally being invented, but also new ideas, new, new problems, um, society shifting in ways that are unknowable. Um, 
new things arise just as old things go away. And I'm not here to tell you that's a good or bad thing. I understand that, you know, we, we could paint people like the Dragon Knights into a a car nut, you know, you'll take my car from my cold dead hands kind of camp. I, I think that's too simplistic. I think that's not fair to them. You did just describe our co-host Chris here, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the last three or four years of, you know, I've, well, I've come around. I didn't want to say it. We've not met, but I could get a sense. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, but you know, go ahead. You know Sorry. what I mean, though. Like I saw, I you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I didn't want the film to pit one side against another, but I did want the film to present people from both worlds and and a, and a world in between, which is to say, people who are who who feel um, no allegiance to a side, but just sort of <laughs> understand that this is where we're going. So now let's just talk about what that means. What are the implications of that? I think we're well past the point. You know, if this movie had been made like five years ago, I think it would have been a movie that asked the question, is this even possible? Is this right. for real? Or is this just a, you know, an academic gimmick? I think we're well past that point. So the conceit of the film is it's coming. Now let's just talk about what that means for you, the viewer. And now to someone who is that, that, Carnot with a deep love of it who's, who's steeped in the culture yeah you're going to have concerns of one kind but you know to somebody who's lost uh, multiple friends and family to easily avoidable car accidents uh, <laughs> who maybe decides to go into a career in engineering you're going to have a very different point of view and I'm just very happy to explore all of those in equal time. Sure so after talking and inter interacting with everybody in your film what did you learn about the the movement that was against autonomous cars that may have surprised you and vice versa the other side too was there anything that surprised you about either side of the way that they kind of approach things? Well I think the process sort of crystallized some, some concerns for me. Uh, I, I suppose, you know, I, I'll, 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 again, showing my cards, thank you for saying it. I was attempting balance. I sure was. I, I hope that the film reads more or less objectively. And, and I'm, while I'm passionate about the subject, it has a sort of dispassionate attitude towards whether this is a good or bad thing. That said, I do suppose I, I personally trend tech positive like whatever is i'm not saying that new things are inherently good but i sort of trend that way and yet in the course of this i learned why like you know things must be done in a measured careful way and um it was malcolm's words who really sort of crystallized some some concerns and fears for me that i probably couldn't have articulated when i started the film he's got that great line right around the middle of the film um, and Malcolm, by the way, is a real car nut and is much more of a skeptic on this than I would have presumed he was going to be. He's sort of the curmudgeon voice in in the film, as you may have noticed, in addition to being our executive producer. But he has that he paints that picture. He says, you know, it's entirely possible to imagine in a world where this really catches on and is and is um, prevalent everywhere um, that somebody could hack into the web as it pertains to the network of automated and connected vehicles on the 405 and cause 5,000 cars to crash simultaneously. And I'm paraphrasing pretty closely here, but he says, um, that's going to happen or something like it will happen. You know, it can't, it might only happen once, but it can't happen now. And it will be able to happen in this future we're talking about. And he's basically alluding to this like trade-off that we have to venture into he says if you're not comfortable with that you can't go down this road now as i said with everything there's a counter argument the counter argument is well okay one catastrophic error 
might be worth it if we're saying that traffic fatalities universally are reduced by 90, 94%, which depending on whom you believe that that's a realistic number. I'm not telling you that's the way we should be doing math because it's a pretty grim bit of calculus to have to, to go through morally and ethically, but it's proof that you shouldn't just be racing into this future blindly and just saying, no, this is new and great and let's bring it out really quickly in, in in this wild west race to see you know which company is going to get the best model to market really quickly like we, we could be cruising towards some of those big catastrophic errors so that that was that was sobering for me as a tech enthusiast and so when I you think, think about really, those deaths to be taken seriously when you think about the deaths and you and you think about that what is it that the um, people that want to hold on to their cars and don't like autonomous cars what do they use to justify uh, overcoming that, like it's worth it to them, because it's it's when it all boil it boil it down, it says, well, it's worth it to me to be able to keep my car, even if it right. does cause these people to die. What have you found that their their motivation is or their reasoning is behind that? Oh, that's probably that 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 may be a better question for a, a psychiatrist than for me. <laughs> um, and it's and it's probably a, a very different answer for every individual. Uh, I don't think it's fair to lump all car people into one psyche and say, well, they just care about having their car or whatever that means to them, you know, whether that's um, nostalgia or a real aesthetic sense of design or a midlife crisis or whatever. <laughs> like, it's not fair for me to say that's what's driving any of those people to value that over the greater good in the lives of many. I don't, I don't think it's that simple. I don't think that's fair. Well, to, if I could be so yeah. selfish, I would like to tell you my reason. <laughs> Please. The, the reason that I think that driving is important is because um, of the ability, there's no way for you to explore as quickly and see as much as you can when you're in a car. You know, you talked about the locomotion age back in the day, that way you could see a lot of things, but you were still on a rail, right? You still had to go mm -hmm. somewhere. You could only see certain things. Cars offer the ability to go where you want, when you want, and experience what you want, how you want. And there's mm -hmm. also a, a sense of exhilaration. Um, that is, you know, that's a currency that people have in, in their in their mind that allows them to experience different things, whether it's um, racing or going on road trips like I'm going to do. And I think you'll see uh, some of that disappear, maybe not in our generation, maybe several generations down the line as people like me are gone and my kids are gone and then all that's left is their kids. This stuff will disappear. And I would hate to have um, what I know are great, fantastic, good experiences disappear because when you think about it, we're all going to die. Right. We're all, we're all, we were dying the wait, day we were born. Wait, 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 what? <laughs> <laughs> it's right. We're all dying. We're all dying since the day we were born. We're all have terminal, terminal illness called being human. And this interview's over. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to depress you. I didn't know. Oh, man. No, no yeah, of course. Of course you're right. Of course you're right. No, there, there, there's so much inevitability in, in everything. Yeah. Everything. I, I hear everything you're so saying. So, what, I, what, what sacrifices are we willing to make for safety in trade for the exhilaration of the things that we love? You know what yeah. I mean? Like what, yeah. where is it okay to just be like, you know what, this isn't safe, but I, but it's passionate and I love it. You know, where, where do we make that trade off? That's the, always yeah. the question that comes back to me. Bottom line, I don't have that answer for you. And I, and I don't think the movie can answer that question. I think that's an individual question that has to be answered and everybody's going to have their own tastes and their own appetites and their own way of crunching those numbers as i said it's difficult uh, it's because also, there's no numbers you can't for right, when you no, talk exactly. about what it, this is this is ephemeral uh, you know i mean i mean like doing that calculus of like live save versus 
effect on the culture, you know, I, and personal freedom. You're, you're, you're totally right to feel that way. It's a totally valid point of view, but it's also a question, not just for individuals to answer, but for all of us as society to collectively answer. And I don't know that we'll come to anything. It's hard concrete. to put that in policy or regulation. How do you put yeah, policy in place? Like you just, it just doesn't exist. It's incredibly difficult. And we can, well, we should at some point in this conversation go off on a tangent about, about <laughs> policy. But first, let me come back to this. I'd say um, your feelings there about mobility and personal freedom are totally valid. But I also think that the feelings of someone for whom the car is very utilitarian um, are also valid. Um, somebody says they prefer to find that freedom elsewhere or who says totally agree with you, but I'd rather do it and not have to be responsible for the driving and feel safe and taken care of in a little cocoon and be able to look around and not have to concentrate on the act, be able to spend time with my family on the road trip rather than just looking forward. Now there's a, now go with me here as I take you through this journey of counter arguments. All right. Then, then somebody could say, well, yeah, but the way things are trending, that family isn't going to be spending time with each other. They're all just going to be on their phones the whole time. Um, you know, you, that, so for every what if there's another, what, there's another side of it. You know, one person will say this will, um, this will do away with traffic completely because of the efficiency of cars um, and cities will change and you won't have to look for parking anymore. And then somebody says, well, yeah, but you won't have to look for parking because your car will be circling the block endlessly throughout the day while you're <laughs> waiting for it. And so traffic and congestion will get even worse. Mm -hmm. And then somebody will say, well, no, because as we move into this future, the model goes away from ownership. You spend only five, you know, 95% of your car's life, it's sitting in a garage or a street unoccupied. So you won't have to do that. We share it, it's a shared fleet. You just get into these, well, it could go this way, it could go that way, it could go that way. The bottom is line is nobody knows how it's going to play out. And- uh, Isn't the answer we, to this allowing people to just make their own choices? It, I, I rather than it, try and put it into this box of, okay, well, this is the safest way, let's do this. Well, this is the, the ethereal way, let's do it this way. Can't we? Should we just kind of leave it open and let the market kind of just figure it out. And if people want to buy autonomous cars, they can. If they don't, then maybe they don't have to. I'm thinking at some point you have to have roadways where only autonomous cars are allowed mm -hmm. because yeah. it's yeah. just it wouldn't function any other way. But I think that, you know, if I want to drive my 1972 whatever, you know, to to Dairy Queen with my wife to get a hot fudge sundae, I should still be able to do that. Shouldn't we just kind yeah. of leave it more open-ended? Well, first of all, I mean, I think any alarmist who tells you they're coming for your car, you're not going to be able to drive to Dairy Queen on your own anytime soon, it is is being sensationalist, to use your word from earlier. I don't think that's happening See, anytime Chris. soon. And not anytime soon. I don't soon, think it is either. You know? I'm just I saying mean, there's going to be certain uh, certain areas yeah, where I you mean, can't drive. There's a there's a time where we that we may get to that, and whether that's a generation away or 100 years away, I, I don't know. But um and I don't really want to venture that guess, but yeah, it's it's possible. But you know, there's there's, again, we'll get into this back and forth of what ifs. Yeah, it's possible that if we move towards this, even if we even if we let the free market decide, and things trend this way, and we get to this inevitable place where the system needs to operate smoothly, and everyone has sort of been won over. And you know, right now, most people don't even think about this, and the people who do generally don't want it. Um, the numbers are shifting all the time, but like, let's say it goes that way. Finally, the, the public is won over the generation that cares about driving sort of dies off as, as we all do, as you said, and driving yourself, driving on your own is illegal. Well, there's a counter argument that says it, that what happened to horses is what will happen here. Mm -hmm. You, it, you will don't, if you want to recreationally ride, you will have a stable 
you know, you'll have a private track. They're private tracks now. But so the problem with this, that is only be... rich people ride horses. Exactly. There's a counter argument to that. That's, 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 you know, Eddie Alderman pointed that out to me. He said, oh, it'll just be something you do down at the and private was, track. That's sad. <laughs> and Malcolm Gladwell says, well, but then it's just a rich person's sport. Um, and then there's this, you, you just keep, come back to this idea that maybe it will die off. And then it's just a question of, well, what is lost then culturally? Isn't that a shame? I mean, look, you, I know you guys did some some episodes about like the greatest movie cars of all time. I'm like, I may not be a car guy, but I'm 100% with you for that conversation. So, yeah, like I, there what, is a deep side note, sidebar. Of, what is the best movie car ooh, of all time? Go. Oh, man. Can we come back to that? Or follow this thought? <laughs> yeah, sure. Because I'm going to forget it if I don't go through it. But yeah, well, also that it's also going to give me time to think of a good answer to that question. <laughs> um but uh, yeah, so there's like a deep strain of nostalgia in me. I totally get that. But but here's what I come back to in a, in a very, I, I try to take a very, very long view of this. And, and, and it's a little, it might be a little cryptic, but every generation, every generation goes through and experiences some version of, oh, kids today, I don't understand it. And why, you know, back in my day, um, whether that's about music or the car or these damn phones or whatever it is or politics it's like every every generation experiences some version of that in varying degrees and it's just inevitable that culture shifts and things go away i mean look car culture is big right now because it's just been growing and growing and growing over the 20th century and we have things like movies to to infuse our culture even even more with it um but you know blacksmithing used to be a bigger deal uh, you know, families used to know how to um, <laughs> grow their own food and make and mend their own clothes. We had a much more connected um, relationship with the tactile elements of our life, um, the, the technical elements of our life. But as agriculture changes and technology changes, the Industrial Revolution, we're much more far removed from that. One um, could argue if, that someone that's uh, that would be like an Amish person or something, one could argue that they're capacity for happiness would be higher because they're not focused on consumerism. Right. You, you can make that argument, but I think, you know, even if you watch, uh, you know, the cheapest reality TV about Amish kids on Rumspringa, I think you can quickly see that that theory falls apart. That yeah. happiness <laughs> is not, uh, is not intrinsic, intrins intrinsically linked to, you know, detachment or attachment to, uh, the physical world. So, I mean, I, th that's all I'm getting at is like, I'm not here to tell you that's a good or bad thing sure. that things die off. I'm just here to say that the, that has been the constant inevitable story. I do like to think, I mean, I, the, the, the techno utopian side of my brain likes to think about Buckminster Fuller a lot. You know, that name. I do Buckminster, not. You, you certainly know the Buckminster Fuller dome. He made geodesic domes, which was sort of a thing that he popularized, you know, a dome made out of triangles. Sure. Um, he, he was an architect and a designer and, and ultimately, I think, a philosopher. But, he, you know, he had ideas that um, uh, it, it, I'm going to be really reductive about it and not fair to him. But his idea was that um, automation is a good thing in the long run, even if in the short term, it causes pain and suffering to a labor force that maybe can't work. But the idea is that you move towards a society where we are not burdened by the need for manual labor, and we are therefore free to pursue. It's kind of a Star Trek-y idea, but we're right. therefore free to pursue um, more intellectual 
ideals. I don't and, I'm sure all of society is cut out for that. Well, if That's, I can... And there's a totally another, another story. You know, <laughs> you know, I, on... I was going to bring up, like, when you talk about the truck thing, you think about that and you go, well, at some point we're going to need a basic living wage for people that aren't intelligent enough or skilled enough to do anything more than manual right. labor. Right, right. I mean, what do you do with um, those people at that point? Uh, have you seen Soylent Green? I have not. <laughs> <laughs> Jake apparently has. Yeah, 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 I did not. I did not. I did not say that. Um, yeah, no, but you're you're right. You're right. I mean, there are huge. You know that the the answers to that are historically painful answers in the short term. You know, yeah. um, there are right now truck driver. I think last time I checked was still like the number one occupation right. in in the country. Right. Um, we filmed a ride along and did a scene with this wonderful woman you saw her in the movie yep. Debbie Desiderato, who just got the like the national independent truckers driver of the year award or something. She's fantastic. I love her. She's so great on the topic. She's very blue collar. She doesn't have a lot of higher education, uh, but she is just so street smart and so articulate. And she's, she's got such a good attitude about it. She almost like laughs off the inevitability of it, but as also saying the sort of from my cold dead hand sort of things of, you know, I'll be the last of a dying breed, but if you're young, you should not be doing this. You should be going to night school and doing other things. Yeah, for sure. I um, think that's probably true. I see people yeah. like signing up to be truck drivers now, and it always worries me a little bit. I'm like, oh man, you're young. We're, what are you going to do in 25 yeah, years? Yeah. And she, you know, she quotes that argument that people say, like, oh no, 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 we automate trucks, but you're still going to need an attendant in the truck, and somebody to offload the trucks. The jobs aren't going away. Well, that's far and less skilled that, labor. You're going to get paid less right, for that, yeah, I would imagine. There's, there's that so it may be harder to get um you know proper compensation then it's less specialized um but then also debbie's smart enough to say to say well yeah but one day they're going to automate that too they're all good and bots you know we might not be there in a generation but one day you're talking about that so what happens to truck drivers have you seen wally i have of course <laughs> you there know what i'm go. talking about right everybody in their little chairs where they float around and they're just in the blobs yeah that's yeah. and that is the counter argument to the buckminster fuller uh, utopia. Yeah, it might be utopia, but we might all be like fat slobs who are just Culturalist. not interacting at all. Yeah. So I mean, I, I'm not telling you like we should go like it, it might the utopia might actually turn out to be pretty bad. But well, uh, and another point on that utopia, you know, your uh, your comment was basically, if I can reduce it down, it's the fact that autonomy could then lead to more freedom for people. And I think the concern or counter argument is that by going down the road of that autonomy, that's where we're losing the freedom in that whole sense of, you know, pry the steering wheel for my cold, dead hands. And I right, think that right. kind of sums up the two perhaps differing sides of that argument. And I think that yeah. you have you have people that one of the things the uh, the pyramid of life, right, is self-actualization. And that means different things to different people. So somebody that gets up every morning and goes to their job and does a great job at whatever it is, making widgets, and then goes home and they're doing that for their family, they're getting a sense of fulfillment out of that. And I'm wondering mm -hmm. how much that's going to affect the human psyche. If they don't have to work, they don't really have to do anything, but they get a basic living wage, then what is it that they're getting out of their life? What are they able to do? Are we arguing for a central wage now, Chris? No, I'm just speculating. You just it's just talking. I just want to let you guys fight about this now. <laughs> Welcome to our show. We did that at the beginning of the podcast, so you'll be able to hear I'm not, that. I'm not throwing I'm not throwing my hat in there. But you know, but look look again, like I you know, who am I? Who are we to tell anybody where they should find joy in life? Like Debbie loves the road. She loves the act of driving. 
uh, our, our truck driver in the films. Like that's important to her. Um, that's, you know, autonomy with a capital A is important to her. Um, but, you know, there are other people for whom it might be more like punching a clock who don't want to be on the road as much because they would rather be with their family. But that's just sort of the skill they have. Those are the jobs they get. Right. And who are we to say, oh, we'll just get something else then. That's condescending and not how, how the world works at all. So that's why I feel like in the short term, the answers to all your questions are not necessarily good answers. Or there's they're, no they're answer s- at all. Uh, yeah. Oh, but if there are, it's suffering, you know, like, look, Mike, I, I got two little kids. They're big fans of uh, Mary Poppins Returns, the new one, you know, a lot of lamplighters in that movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, oh, lamplighters, what's a lamplighter? I'm like, well, we don't really have them anymore. Geez, we have electric lights. I'm sure there was at some point some like I, I'm, I have not studied up on this. There's probably some like lamplighter strike and a riot and and <laughs> yeah, you know and sure. families families torn asunder and children dying in abject poverty because lamplighting went away but is anybody today a hundred years later crying about the, the lack of lamplighters in the world i don't mean to diminish the pain of that uh trade going away at the time but as a society we tend to move those ways and not look back but the only so, difference would be that when you look at cars and you look at motoring they're 100% tied permanently to personal freedom of transport. So you have a, it's a very, very raw emotion that's involved with it. When you talk about lamplighting, it's not quite the same, you know, we, those guys can go do something else. It's not like when I, if you take a car away from me, you can go do something else. Then you, Chris, you, 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 obviously you know what I mean? Watched, it's, it's, you obviously haven't watched Mary Poppins returns because they are having so much fun. Like <laughs> I, have seen, I have seen it. I have my kids like that movie too. Yeah, for sure. I was just, I'm just uh, saying no, it's, it's totally a, right. but again, you're, uh, you're, to- again, you're totally right. For some people, that is a real visceral feeling for others. Again, uh, the car's an appliance and, and they don't have those same feelings and, 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 uh, and we all share this same world. So this movie is an attempt to not to reconcile whatever the tensions between those two poles are, but to just say like, Hey, we all do share the world. This is a very messy world we are moving into where we don't know how this is going to go legislatively, technologically. Um, it's a huge boom. It's going to get messy before it gets settled. And for sure, there's going to be some things lost in culture, just as there are new and exciting things solved. And I will say kudos to you, Alex, because that's what this film did. That's what caused a lot of this conversation to be yeah, sparked. Yeah, it definitely so, sparked conversation for sure. For sure. Um, in your you. film, and, you and, have... And uh, we, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I was going to... And we did get to show some cool clips of movies, which is maybe now where I should bring it back to... Yeah. All right. It's, there uh, it's uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in that, uh, with... Uh, Arnold, yeah. Uh, oh, Arnold and... Uh, the Johnny Cam. The, the Johnny Cam. Which is a Arnold's great scene. <laughs> it's a great, great, great yeah, scene. Where, where, where am I? Um, <laughs> You're in a Johnny Cab. Uh, yeah, so, um, did you Robert think your Picard best movie? Your best yeah, movie? My, so favorite car movie. Okay, so we're not talking automated cars. Um, we're yeah, just yeah. talking favorite car movies. Or favorite movie cars, I should say. Um, the things that are leaping to mind. Um, the last of the V8 interceptors. Yes. Mad Max. Yep. Leaps mm-hmm. to mind. I have a huge soft spot in my heart though, for the Delta 88 from the evil dead movies. Oh, I didn't even that, consider that one in that our list. Giant yellow beast. And I'm, I have, I do have a soft spot for it because I got to sit in it. Okay. It's actually in all of Sam Raimi's movies. It makes a cameo in every single one in the dream space in Spider-Man where 
Peter is talking to his departed Uncle Ben. They're sitting in the Delta 88. Really? Um, it's actually dressed up as a Conestoga wagon in The Quick and the Dead. It's in every movie. It <laughs> it's kind of like Christine that ended up in a bunch of different Stephen King. It's just, he's just, it's just everywhere. It's, it, and it was like it was Sam Raimi's car, or maybe it was Bruce Campbell's car. I think it was Sam Raimi's. And it's just in all of his movies. And I was a PA getting coffee on Spider-Man 3. And there was the car for its cameo. It was just sitting in the lot at Steiner <laughs> Studios in Brooklyn. And I was like, no one's around. I'm going to sit in that. <laughs> <laughs> I sat where Bruce Campbell sat. And that was, so that's, that's a, that's a very, I have very fond memories of See, that. See, car. cars can move you, man. They really do. They really do. What made that, what got the number one spot when you did the, the, your podcast? Uh, it was it, a tie. It was a tie. Death Proof, the uh, Chevy Nova from Death Proof with Kurt, okay. that Kersel, Kurt Russell drove. And we yeah, had the I'm I'm yeah the, I'm a, I'm one of the biggest Kurt Russell fans in the world. And we actually had the stunt that. driver on that drove that car in the film. Oh, and he talked cool. about it, and then uh, he took he talked about taking Quentin Tarantino for Tarantino for a hell ride in it, which is great. And then the <laughs> uh, the other one is the Wraith with Charlie Sheen from way back in the day. Wow, wow, Th- those are not th- those would not be obvious choices. And I we go obscure on this. show. We did go we did, <laughs> we did, we did free obscure. Yeah, no, I know you got you know I remember I know you mentioned the DeLorean. I'm sure, and you know oh, yeah. we have a DeLorean and in, in, regrettably, in, uh, yeah. Also, the uh, another one is the semi from uh, the movie Steven Spielberg did. Where, the duel, uh, the duel, the duel mm-hmm. which is a masterpiece of of movie. It, it really, really is. is. I'm glad. I'm glad you picked duel. Yeah, because that move, that car is a character. That is a monster movie, and it's a truck. Yeah, it's it's evil yeah. for sure. Um, just to circle back to your film, uh, in the film you talked to Naki San of RWE fame, and I'm just wondering how did that come together? Where you, where you brought him on? Because of all the artists and stuff that you can have, um, he's a really interesting character for sure. How did that work? Yeah. Out? um we were very lucky um we got him uh, and he even said because we were in japan to to interview um sadayuki tsugawa who was uh, you know along with ernst dickman's kind of either the edison or the tesla of this technology those are sort of the two guys who we should get into it and talk about those two guys because i think the world of them still alive um but so we were in japan sort of expressly to interview tsugawa and we did a bunch of nissan test drive stuff over there the stuff that's in the film um and I wanted to just shoot around Japan for other reasons because I think it's 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 a com- it's a country that's really embraced technology and automation in a very different way than we have from the West, and that's worth talking about. But um, so we were there. I wanted to just pick up some other scenes, and we investigated. And we found him, and I was like, "Great, good," because I I we I had the car enthusiasts. I had the Dragon Knights, you know, the guys who like live and breathe this stuff and wanted yep. to burn out. But I didn't have the craftsman, the the artisan, you know, the person who makes cars with their hands. He doesn't literally make cars with his hands, but he is famous for modifying them. And and as he says himself, you know, some people would call what he does art. So he's in there as, as an example of something that may be going away as we move into an increasingly commodified appliance like approach to mobility. Uh, again, I'm not there to tell you like, and therefore we should not move in that direction. I'm just there to like paint these little character portraits from one world and also from another. So, but he said we were lucky to get him because we, we were in Japan for like a week filming. And he was like, I am usually at all parts of the globe. He just gets flown around to modify cars that's because um, they run out of cigarettes for whatever city he's in. Yeah. <laughs> so he's got he's to buy some cigarettes and coke. He was, I got to say, we walked in there, and you can see in the movie, that's his, that's his garage shop. And it's yep. like, I walked in there, I was like, oh, we couldn't have art directed this place any better. It's just got the jukebox and the lights, and it was it was just the coolest room I've ever been in. And you, I'm, I'm not a smoker, and I usually uh, just start 
bristling when I'm you know, when I'm getting secondhand smoke. I want to move far away. But that dude is the coolest guy I have ever met in my life. And he was chain smoking <laughs> the whole time, and I was just like wafted over here. Just let me breathe it in. Just let me because I'm I, I am many things, but I, cool is not one of them. So I was just like I I don't know if I'm allowed to be around this guy. He was the coolest cat I've ever been around. And, and um, it's it's interesting yeah. that that's the you know those type of craftsmen will will not go away. I think you'll see. I think you'll see it get pared down to the the yeah. elite. Right. I think you'll see because yeah. now there's there's a lot of guys creating stuff that aren't very good just because the market yeah. for cars and everything is so big. But I think just right. like publishing as as magazines and books have gone away, especially magazines, you start to see the rise of like really good curated stuff come up and replace right. You know all right. the junk that was out there that was filled with ads. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, but but look, with any, mass delivery systems are a wonderful thing that can bring whatever it is. The printed word, the moving image, um, mobility to a greater population, places that it couldn't reach before. That's ultimately that's ultimately a positive thing, although that is fraught with many complications that that, that are problematic. But um, the byproduct of that is like you know what you know you you lose uh, the touch of the human hand, you lose the imperfection of the individualized thing and and there's value in both and he what he does i have the utmost respect for and i do set i again while i can't appreciate what he's doing on the level that you guys do even somebody who's not a car guy can walk in there and go oh this guy is an artist this guy is a master if there is one thing he is he's legit he's got motor oil flowing through his veins i don't think anybody can question veins and 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 it's highly specialized highly individualized and you and he but i also his remarks i think are really interesting because i think he has you know he doesn't sound i I feel like if there were an american equivalent of akarenakai it would be somebody who's angrier about the the electronic versions of, of 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 things in his space you know who's angry about angrier about um automated vehicles for example he's got this kind of just chilled laid back and frankly i think japanese attitude towards it was like oh no technology is wonderful technology is great there's room enough in this world for it um computers are precise and perfect i just prefer to do things this way he's just very cool about it it's like there's room enough in the world for both um and i think that comes from that Eastern attitude towards technology that I was alluding to earlier. It's I'm, I'm simplifying it a little bit, but like in general, just look at our movies. Um, robots in Japan are, you know, our gigantor, our, um, you know, our Mecha Godzilla. They're, they're, well, Mecha Godzilla has also been a bad guy, but they're, they're more <laughs> often than not, they're, they're here to protect us. They're here to help us. They're here to serve us. Um, and in the West, they are more often terminator than they are robocop yeah. you know robots are more often the thing to the monster to be feared why do you think that um, is that, where do you think that cultural divide is on that uh that's a great question um and i you know I've, i every time i think i have a theory i go well but if you go further back now there's an exception i don't know i, I really don't know um i think you know there is this i we, we like to we stress the individual so much in um especially in america you know you know uh, America ends and I can, right? It's about the, it's about individual freedoms. Yeah. We say e pluribus unum from many one and, 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 and democracy, whether you, we're, we're, you're tracing it from Greece to Europe to America, it's it sort of evolved into this American exceptionalism that we, which may be a myth, right? But, but we like to think of ourselves as, you know, it's, it's about the power of what one can do. And the idea of, um, sort of repeatable perfection seems to cut against that um and 
I'm not again. I'm not here to tell you it's 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 a good or bad thing that in Japan there's it's 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 much more of a ah this can help with order and efficiency, and and perhaps allow us free us up to do other things. Great. Um, by the way, uh, you know they have on average much cleaner backsides than we do because they've embraced technology in their toilets. <laughs> right, yeah, that's true. The uh, so high tech that's, that's at least yeah. that's at least one count on which <laughs> they, they've got it. They've got it right. They also so. really embrace their culture, though. Too. I watched another documentary on uh, on Amazon about um, the mastery of you know work ten thousand hours on something. Oh, and mm-hmm. it'll become a master. I'm I'm failing, and I I'm sad that I can't remember the title of it. But oh, I've heard, yeah, I heard about this this documentary. Yeah. It's, it's quite good, and it's just about like there's a guy who has been working doing one thing and his thing is that he uses a planer and he works on wood and that's what he's been doing his whole entire life. And he lives to do it and then pass it on to the next person. I think that's really, really impressive. And I don't think you'll see, you see that in, in such a, a pure way as you do in Japan. Right. Right. And yet technology is everywhere. It's like, it's sort of a technopolis when compared to, to you know, I, I've been to Tokyo a number of times. I love Tokyo. Um, but we, I mean, it, it really it, it is almost like an anime movie i mean there's just was like it like that before everywhere. world war ii was there culture similar to this or was that kind of uh well we uh, need to re- I, did that have anything well, to do with I it mean, that, in general we were it was just a technologically very different world pre-world war ii um so rather than offer the wrong opinion i might just say i don't know i'm not sure <laughs> that's okay that's okay but um but uh but to go there now yeah i mean it's just it's gadgets gizmos you know just a, a sort of there's an innate um embracing of technology well maybe we can leave it at that in terms of the podcast just in um this episode just saying that you know maybe there's room for both and i think that's what we should you know strive in my opinion i think we should strive towards that um is you know is do whatever you want but don't force me to do anything is kind of my mentality on life. and that's as optimistic as chris gets <laughs> <laughs> that's probably wow, that, true that that bodes very poorly for us. <laughs> that's um, probably true I, I, no i i think you're right i think in in the short term uh it has to be that it has to because because that is that is the world we're in you know right um but uh, uh, there's a there's a little in the malcolm gladwell tradition i like to introduce this film when i'm introducing it to the screening with a, with a little anecdote from history as he does so well um it was 18 i think i'm right here on the date i think it was 1899 um a man got off a uh, and i promise this is gonna be a roundabout way of answering what you just said uh but the, a man stepped off of a trolley on central park west in manhattan he went back to help a woman step down as he did so and, and turned around he was struck and killed by a new york city taxi cab that was the first human casualty at the hands of an automobile in the United States and uh, one of the first in the world. And one of the headlines shortly afterwards said, the automobile has tasted blood. (laughs) Uh Just, just take yourself back, you know, before the age of the automobile, that's, that's, if not the sentiment, that is a sentiment that's out there. Well, yeah. Um, With the the Volvo that ran over that girl. You know, that, well, there you go. There you go. It's the same thing. But like, I don't. I don't think that you know, really nuanced objective journalism, like the automobile has tasted blood, did anything to slow the advancement of the automobile. It came. So, like that. That's sort of where we are now, and that's why Good I point. think it's just like movie, Agent Smith. I am <laughs> inevitable. <laughs> that's it. That's it. It is, and it's just it's, these cycles repeat themselves, and moments of big changes those those precipices right before it all just gets really messy and and the way we live our daily lives totally change are fraught times 
there's excitement, there's confusion, there's fear, anxiety, people disagreeing. But above all, there's a lot of misinformation um, and hyperbolic sensationalism like automobiles tasted blood. I think we're in such a time right now where we're in this messy wild west where there's misinformation, there's misleading terminology, there are people yelling that their way of life is about it. And, and it's like, uh, if nothing else, let's just take a step back, talk about what we do know, clear up the misinformation so that we can go into the future where at least the near future where we are going to have to share the roads together a little better informed with better ideas about how we would like this future to be shaped so if this movie can play even a tiny role in getting people to just tune their thinking um one way or another if you think you feel strongly one way maybe the movie's got something for the other side for you if you haven't thought about it much at all which is most people then i hope it opens their eyes and and makes them think about how this is going to affect them. So that's where can they see this uh, film? Where, where is, where are people finding it? Uh, where, wherever you rent movies on demand. So uh, whether you rent them on your cable provider or on uh, iTunes or Amazon prime, I think if, if you're on iTunes or Amazon prime members, I think we're like a $1 rental it's, and just this past week, it's the best $1 available. I've spent in a while. It's really, really go. good. Um, and that's saying something. Um, we, <laughs> Uh, we uh, and uh, as of this last week, we're available on DVD and Blu-ray on Amazon as well. Well, thanks um, for and, coming yeah. on the podcast, man. I I really appreciate it. If anybody wants to follow you, you're on Twitter. Um, what's your What's your thing there? I should have this memorized, shouldn't I? I don't know. <laughs> and it's called a handle, by the way. Chris. A handle, yeah. Just like the CB radio. <laughs> See things move on. They just get called different things. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm, I'm hashtag Alex something. I don't know. What am I? I'm, I'm at <laughs> Alex <laughs> underscore Horwitz, right? That's it. That's yeah. it. I'm I'm at Alex underscore Horwitz, which has one O in it. H-O-R-W-I-T-Z. All right. I really appreciate you coming on, man. It was a fantastic discussion. Um, I will. Uh, hopefully we can talk again sometime. My pleasure. Anytime. All right. Take care of yourself. Thanks, guys. Yep. Bye bye. So I have a prediction of the future and what being in an autonomous car is going to be like i can't a courtesy wait. of someone we mentioned er, mentioned earlier in the podcast i can't wait you ready yep where am i you're in a johnny cat i mean what am i doing here <laughs> i'm sorry would you please rephrase the question huh? how did i get in this taxi the door opened you got in hope you enjoyed the ride i'm johnny cat where can i take you tonight Drive! Drive! Would you please repeat the destination? Oh, anywhere, just go! Go! Please state a street and number. Shit! Shit! I'm not familiar with that address. <laughs> Would you please repeat the destination? <laughs> so I imagine that's pretty much what every interaction with an autonomous car is going to be like. Well, that sounds very exciting, actually. Well, I doubt you're going to be... These guys are chasing him with, like, guns and... What if you need to run out of a is it going to be possible to rob a bank anymore? I don't well, know. You can, obviously, but you don't have a getaway car. <laughs> I don't know. Go to the hideout. <laughs> Take me away from here. I'm sorry. I did not understand that. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> all right, guys. That's all we have for, for today. Um, we'll be back on Monday with some news. We really hope you enjoy this episode. It's a little more philosophical, um, but we hope you appreciate it. Yeah, and let us know what you think. Head over to iTunes and also be sure to check us out on Patreon. With that note, we will talk to you later. See you Monday. Bye-bye.